Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Back for another week of the Fifth and Last NRL Podcast. Look for us on Facebook, Fifth and Last NRL Podcast, and on Twitter, at Fifth and Last. That's the letter N, not the word and. Rate and review us on iTunes. A few more people have got on board, I guess, since they've had a bit more time in isolation. And uh, remember, we are now on Spotify, as well as always been on iTunes and Audio Boom. Boxhead, this is hopefully uh, the second last podcast besides next week, where it's going to be about... Basically, whatever we get that week in the news and the week after that, we're going to be able to talk about some football and preview some games, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, probably two more uh, slow shows, I guess, or uh, a little bit shorter shows. But, uh, yeah, the footy's not far away. Mm. And I think we kind of made this point last week. It's, it's not a matter of that there's not, nothing to talk about, but as far as what's being pumped out right now content-wise... Uh, some of the topics, it's not really in the wheelhouse of the, the stuff we want to be talking about. We want to talk about games, players, break down some footy, talk about some footy rather than uh, what seems to be a lot of recycled shit or a lot of things that are quite negative, in all honesty. Yeah. So uh, we got a few bits and pieces this week. There's not a whole lot. Uh, we covered most things last week. I think the only things that really changed uh, in situation from last week was that whole debacle about player pay and this, that and the other and conditions and whatnot, that was all resolved. Players locked in 80%. They've got all the conditions. They know what's going on about biosecurity standards. They're back at training. Um, And as I talked about last week, spoken to a couple of the players that once those rules were sorted through and everything was put into place, they all adjusted. A couple of blokes had to find a different living situation or adjust on that side of things. Training has already changed. So they started off what we talked about last week in groups of 10 scattered at different times with coaches, no contact. That all changed as of the start of this week. So they're basically back to normal training, as we spoke about. Yeah, as of as of this week. So uh, it's, it's normal systems uh, go. Uh, apart from, I think, the Melbourne Storm, who... They've just gone home. Yeah, and they're, I, I'm not sure what the... Uh, the I guess the rules are around their training, but... Um, I'd imagine if they're going home, then they must be able to rip into full training. Would that be right? Yeah, I think the understanding is that otherwise they would have probably stayed in Albury under the New South Wales rules. But the rules that apply to training, the way I read it a few weeks ago and spoke to a few of them, was it's about the Australian Border Force in order to get the Warriors back in, that there'd be three stages to getting them back to how they train and what they're doing. But as far as I know now, clear to go back to Melbourne to do what they're doing and they'd probably be following... Same rules as everyone else where they're now at the final stage of what they had to follow to get the Warriors back into the country. So uh, a lot of people been doing 13 on 13, like we talked about last week, opposed. They're getting in contact. They're getting in some skill. They're getting some conditioning. Uh, and for the most part this week, you could expect that most players are doing contact at least minimum, I'd say, three or four times this week to really ramp up and get that contact in, especially over the next two weeks before they get into that last game week where they're probably going to be more back to just working on structure and skill on that heading into their first game. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, yeah, Queensland, like we said, that all fell over quickly. Palaszczuk and the, the government there, they're all back. They're able to play, train, move in and out. New South Wales, the storm with the last domino to fall and uh, everything seems all systems go. The only issue I guess we've had since then was what we talked about last week with the whole anti-vax thing, which was a bit late in the podcast for us. But I don't want to get into a big debate about it like this. Whether you agree, disagree, how you feel about it, like my opinion... I'm in the 98%. We've grown up. You get vaccinated, herd immunity, all those bits and pieces. I'm not against anyone uh, who's been raised differently or if it's a religious belief or if you've had an adverse reaction and whatnot. But basically, I stick to what I said last week. This is not normal times. And at the end of the day, if it comes down to the government who's given the tick of approval of the NRL, who's got a standard to meet, uh, they have the final say. So in, in the case of the Queensland government, they've basically said, if you don't have the flu shot, you're not playing. So Bryce Cartwright, Brian Kelly are the only two players left on that side of the border. They're not training, they're not playing. And the New South Wales side of things basically said it was up to the NRL and their occupational health and safety and their standards. Um, so my understanding there is that they're training and playing, but you guys like your Josh Papalis, Joe Tapines, etc., that signed this waiver to avoid the needle will not be able to travel to Queensland to play if that's the case. Yeah, look, it was just a... A confusing few days, wasn't it? Like it was originally agreed upon. That, well, the government thought that it would be 100% of players would be vaccinated. And then came back that uh, it was the you NRL know, was going to insert a waiver. Yeah, they did it after the, the fact. Sort of flexed and thought, well, hang on a minute. You said 100% will be vaccinated. They'll be vaccinated. So they then went away, and the, uh, the Queensland teams had players stood down. It's now sort of progressed to the fact where that's going to remain in Queensland but in New South Wales and the ACT they're going to sign a waiver so I'm not sure where this ends up I guess it's all uh, relative to what the government really wants to enforce I guess because whatever they want to enforce is what the game has to abide by so you know regardless of my opinion your opinion Bryce Cartwright's opinion whoever's opinion it is in the end the government will have the final say and that's based upon what's fair and what's healthy and what's safe for uh, the individuals and the players and staff around them, I guess. So mm. uh, I, I guess in a normal circumstance, I don't have an issue with people, you know, regardless of where they sit in terms of vaccination, not don't get vaccinated, anti-vax, whatever. Like, everyone's got their own opinion. But in this current situation that we find ourselves in, it's uh, a time where it's been made compulsory and uh, I don't think it's time for political grandstanding or uh, a time to really push your views on on people. So, I mean, if these guys feel that strongly about the fact that they don't want to have a vaccination, that, that's fine. Mm. But they need to understand that that'll lead to them not playing and lead to their team being a little bit poorer uh, and you know, the impact that it has off the field financially uh, will play an impact as well. So whole heap of things are going to take into consideration. But, look, I'll probably... Um, I'll respect any player that says that I'm an anti-vaxxer and I want it and they're willing to give up their pay. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they, they obviously believe strongly enough in it to sacrifice a season. Would I do it personally? No. And like you said, we've, we've been vaccinated growing up. And, um my children get vaccinated, but that doesn't mean that 
No. I feel as though everyone else has have to. Uh, I guess when someone who isn't vaccinated could potentially affect, you know, me or my children, then I'd have an issue with it, I suppose. But for the most part, I think to not be vaccinated really only places the person who isn't vaccinated at a greater risk. But without, again, being a medical expert, yeah, I think really it just places them at a higher risk. I've seen a lot of commentary around they're saying, well, why is it suddenly compulsory this year and not other years? I think because there's some data out there that suggests that if you get the flu, the seasonal flu, plus coronavirus, that's when... It's not going to help it you. Be, it can be... Well, no, it can be severe. That, yeah. They're saying that's when it uh, becomes really, really severe. Uh, for the most part, you know, the data suggests that when you get coronavirus just by itself, that for the majority of us below, you know, sort of 50 years of age that mm. don't have those pre-existing medical conditions, yeah. that we're going to be okay. Like, the mortality rate's fairly low. In particular... I think it's when you have a combination or you've got risk factors. Mm. And it's not so much, um, you know, this is an individual... It's not a person-to-person case. It's not like the game's going out to find out who's anti-vaxxers and to cause this issue. It's no, they're trying to protect the, the game. sort of said, well, yeah, like what are the hoops that we need to jump through to get the game back on? And these are the stipulations that have been put in place, so we need to get them done. And uh, Unfortunately, you know, you know, there were some players that sort of said, no, I don't really want to do it, and then we'll sign the waiver, and the government sort of said, well, no. And a whole week of them just went and got it. Yeah. So Well, Nathan Peets was one that was thrown under the bus probably yeah, a bit. I think there were a few others as well. Yeah. He, he, a couple of, I think Adam Fennell, was Adam Fennell Blake? Um, I think he signed a waiver. They haven't got the jab, but I oh, like Pete's. Someone at Manly, someone at Manly got the jab um, under similar circumstances to Pete's. Anyway, it's it's irrelevant. Um, it's, again, it's been a bit of a black eye because it, it allows that commentary, that negative. Yeah, again, the players are stopping the game media and in, within the media itself to stamp, stop the game a little bit and give the game a bit of a black eye. So. Mm. Look, these 16 sleeps can't go quick enough. Once the footy's on uh, and we're up and running and everyone else in Australia isn't, you know, it's, it's going to be a time where we can just shut up and it will let the game and the sport itself do the talking because there's going to be plenty of people watching because there's not going to be anything else to watch. 100%. I guess, like I said again, uh, to me, like and like a lot of people have said, it's scientific fact or the numbers are much in favour of those that do get vaccinated but again I'm not raised that way I don't know the religious side of it for some of those guys I don't know those beliefs and my things the old live and let live as long as you don't push your beliefs on me I'm not going to push mine onto you but don't force your way of life but in this circumstance and how to get the game back and to protect the players if this is a hoop that they've put in place uh, to me you either have to bend you know, just this one time in your life potentially or like you said, if you really, really feel so strong about your beliefs, you're going to have to stick by them and it's potentially going to cost you being paid for the rest of the season. Yeah. Or this may become the new normal moving forward. I know a lot of people think coming out of post-corona, they say how much will life change. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe this does become something where they go, well, you know, post-world in this situation, we want everyone to be vaccinated every single year coming into this time of year so it stops the potential spread of even if it is just the flu within our game and within our players and have everyone as healthy as possible because in their opinion and scientific opinion and medical opinion it says that you're better off having a needle um, but it realistically seems at the moment the only chance for those two guys and anyone going to the Queensland 
government uh, playing in Queensland from the New South Wales clubs, all those two was on medical exemption. So you've had an adverse reaction before, an anaphylactic reaction, which one or two of the guys had a legit reason. I think Mark Tapao said that's the reason he didn't want it because when he had it 2012 or 2013, he was apparently really, really cooked for a couple of weeks, had a real bad reaction. So that's the only reason he doesn't get it. Um, but there's no tick of approval just yet. But that's the only way it seems if the Queensland government does agree that they will be able to either return or have guys travel up there. But for Cartwright's situation, it's got nothing to do with an adverse reaction. That's his belief. So if he's going to stick by that, um, yeah, potentially no football this year for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, it's been a real big thing. A lot of people flying off the handle. I'd probably just go the same route as you. It's just one of those little things I hate leading into it when there is no football because it's all we've got to talk about in the sense of first it was apparently the pay thing, then the conditions, now it's this, that they're just... I think people are maybe getting a little frustrated, even though it's not the majority, which we say all the time, you can't point the finger at the majority, same as when there's an off-field incident, that it seems as though to some people that the players or people are just stopping the game from getting it back on the field when they should just be happy and appreciative that we're potentially going to save the game, save their pay packets, save a lot of people's jobs. But um, like you said, two weeks' time, hopefully we're not talking about any of this shit, we're just talking about some football. Yeah, exactly. I will finish with one thing, and I didn't really want to say it, but... Cartwright's misses to compare his situation to Anne Frank. Like, wow, that that uh, that was a little bit of a bridge too far for me. Like, I wasn't buying into a lot of it when I saw that. I was just like, fucking, yeah. I think you're a little out of line in that. Yeah, I think the less said about her, the better. Yeah, uh, that, um, that 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 was about the only thing out of all of it when I was ignoring it. But I heard that I was just uh, like, holy shit! Like, you know, really? It's not the first time that. Yeah, sort of come on. <laughs> that's yeah. that's a fairly fucking long bow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll move on from that sort of things. Uh, one more little bit of negativity we don't need to spend a lot of time on because we ran and raved about it the other week, but Nathan Cleary's situation, um, obviously we knew that was going to be resubmitted. Come out yesterday morning, he wasn't going to get suspended, just a bigger fine. Then that had changed by the evening. $30,000 fine in full now and a two-game suspension in Tyrone May. Uh, I don't know how he came into it. Obviously, they live together, so they might have investigated him to ask what had happened and he might have covered up the same as Nathan has. He's also been brought back into this situation. He's copped a $15,000 fine also and a two-game ban. Yeah, well, they're, they're roommates and they left. They weren't at Nathan Cleary's house. They're at one of the girls' houses. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that, this is where all the lies have come in. So, um, yeah, it's, he's, look, he's got what he deserves. Yeah. He's lied. Exactly. Uh, and, look, he, uh, he still he still would have uh, had a case to answer had he told the truth to start with, no doubt about it. Uh, but it, things would have been made a lot easier. There's told he the truth. He, well, he definitely wouldn't have had a suspension and no. would have just had a suspended fine. So, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's surprised me that he's lied, I've yeah. got to be honest, because I haven't known the kid and... It's out of character. Had, had, ...had a bit to do with him. Yeah, it's, it, it is out of character, but we're all entitled to make mistakes yeah. as well. We've all been young before, uh, though, and interested in girls, and this situation is definitely not normal, so I'm not going to... Just right, not, no. I'm not going to write it off, and I know a lot of people the other way probably going, well, he's lashed at a car, the trail, etc. My thing on that, again, 
Well, I'm, I'm not comparing and apples. I, and I don't think... I, it's just dumb. I, I've got the same opinion of this as what I do with um, with the other car one. Yeah. And the throw one. Uh, and I think they're all uh, different. They're not all as severe as one another. No. And but like they're said, all as stupid as one another. Yeah, oh, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. For Tyrant May, though, he didn't need any more of this stuff happening for him. He's already got a five-game suspension on the back of what happened with the sex tape scandal. Yeah, and he's played He's played very little first grade. Yeah, so he's got two so more he's games. He's not endearing himself to be signed. No. Nah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not real sure how much, uh, how many years he's got left on his contract. But, again, having known and coached him for a few years as well, like it's... Uh, it, it's out of character for both of them. They've both been pretty clean, clean-skinned sort of guys coming through. But uh, you know, you get that notoriety and things that happen for you, and you make some mistakes. So, uh, I think the biggest thing now for, and like you said about Tyron, this is in his second. Uh, this is his second incident. Mm. The biggest thing for Nathan is that it's it's his first and last. Yeah, it's, I... it's once you you get to the point where. You know, you're making mistakes up, mistake after mistake, and you know there becomes to becomes a pattern. That's when you're really going to get yourself in strife. Mm. And I think uh, I think everyone's entitled to make a mistake, um, but you're not entitled to make multiple and to give the game multiple black eyes. No, and I think so. so May, that's the biggest thing moving forward. I'm pretty sure he may be off contract this year, but like you've already gone through all that trouble last year. You've survived. They've held on to you, you know, that they talked at the start of the season that he's going to be a big part of the plans when he's ready to go. He'd be the perfect utility player, as we've said before. He looks good at six, but he comes to the juniors playing as a fullback. They played him in the 20s as a lock. He's a good defender. He's a ball player. He's a big enough body. He's a multi-skilled player. But when you've already got a five-game suspension on the back of what happened last year, and now you haven't even got close to the field, we've got a shortened season, you're off contract, and the season stopped. You've now got this, whether it's minor or not. It's another two games on top. So he's now not available until round eight in a 20-round season. Yeah, So not good. And there's no reserve grade. So you're basically then either relying... Uh, not at this stage, yeah. No, you're basically relying on the fact that those words that were spoken earlier in the year, that he's the perfect utility, that he may find himself a spot on the bench. But if you're Penrith and you've won your first two games and they continue along that vein of form and there's no reserve grade and he's coming off an eight-week suspension, it's going to be very hard to get the side. Well, you're going to have to hope that whoever comes in doesn't do a good job. Yeah, basically. Uh, and f- for Nate's situation, for the two-game suspension, uh, luckily for them, like we said before, I-, I was really hopeful that Burton would have been the one that formed the halves partnership and they'd go a different direction with fullback with Luai. They obviously didn't go that way. Um, but now it opens the door for Burton to come play some football. Not exactly, again, ideal off the break in the preseason. That for a younger guy, it would have been better getting straight into playing some football, getting some reserve grade under his belt. But uh, in the one game we did see last year, we, we saw that he was perfectly capable. I don't, I don't see him being, you know, absolutely dominant and coming straight in taking over from that role, but he showed he was certainly more than capable. So here's a chance for him to stake a bit of a claim as well in those two games. Yeah, again, with every uh, door that closes for one player, it's a door that opens for another, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, it'll be... Yeah, it's a good opportunity for the for the young man to come in and show what he's got. Mm. On the back of that, sticking with that around the theme of uh, some bits and pieces going on, come out today that James Roberts has been readmitted to rehab again. Don't want to touch on the reasons around as to why, but 
uh, in this time. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, like the mistakes that are made by some players or some off-field stuff. And uh, you look at the AFL side of things and off-field stuff. And like it, for some people, it is really, really important, that routine that we speak about and the, the regime and being around football and all that. So as far as the James Roberts uh, situation and hearing that news today, it's, it's very sad. Hopefully, again, he gets the help that he needs and gets everything back on track. But again, I, I think these two weeks can't go quick enough and the fact they're back at training now is nothing but a positive for a lot of these guys because being in this environment, having that routine, having that structure is the best thing for a lot of the football players. Well, so I thought he's been, he's been in the rehab facility for two weeks already. Um, I'm not sure about the exact period of time, but it was just more the fact that it came out that it yeah. it was the case. And just, you know, you, you never want to hear that kind of stuff. And he's obviously had a few previous uh, stints where he's needed that help. But like I said, again, I just for a lot of guys, and we've all played with a couple of them, but we know a couple of them coaching. Some people, this environment and this structure is, is everything for some people. It, it keeps them... Yeah, but also just getting out of the house. Like I yeah. myself, I, I struggle when I, when I can't get out and be um, not so much social but um, just get out and go to work and speak to people and get in the car and drive and just be stimulated mm. and you know for, for some like James Roberts you, you need that strict routine uh, and that's you know what keeps them keeps them on track and out of these um, I guess negative behaviours that they uh, can otherwise engage in if they're not um, within that within that supportive environment. So my concern for James Roberts is what happens when he retires, um, because it's it is a bit of a um, a bit of a trend. Like as you said, it's not the first time it's happened. So I think the game's really got to get behind him in the present, but also make sure that we're working towards um, you know what he's going to do post footy and trying to best equip him to be able to deal with this once uh, rugby league does end for him because a lot of players talk about that when they retire just not being around the team and struggling with all, all that goes with that so um, if, if James Roberts is struggling with that for a, a short period of time that we've sort of been um, separate during this pandemic it's, it has the potential to become a serious issue once he retires as well so yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot to be done uh, for for James Roberts, but um, I'm sure he'll come good. Yeah, and I think like you said, just finding something that offers you know that kind of support or a good environment or a routine or a structure when football is over, because it is hard for some guys uh, post and prior, and obviously leading into that environment growing up when you've had some issues, it, it can be awesome for blokes because they're surrounded by people they've got that structure they've got mentors they've got help they've got guidance um, some can be lost without it like you said it can be even worse so uh, for yeah, some well, it's, it's also maybe getting some work in in this space in the welfare space maybe he can move into that he's got a lot of experience in terms of his own um, experiences positive and negative and you know positive, positive in that um, he's had the maturity to check himself in and say that, you know, I need help, I need to go here, I, you know, I'm not feeling great. Um, and I, I guess the negative in that, you know, he knows how, how it feels and he's had some incidents where he's gotten himself into trouble and he's made some mistakes, but um, the, the biggest thing for 
roles like that and to be able to connect with players, I think, is, is having had that experience. Mm. Being able to talk from experience. So, But there's training that they need to complete in order to, to go into those roles. So uh, I, I think that would be it'd be perfect for him, particularly in the, in the Indigenous space at a club like South Sydney who has such a strong, um, I guess, Indigenous, not culture, but they've got a long history of yeah. indi- uh, successful Indigenous players. And, you know, you look at Inglis. Inglis has retired and moved into a, an off-field role there. So, uh, again, just in that of giving that structure on that in that day-to-day basis to be able to work around a team environment, you know, a similar sort of environment to what he's working with in now. Yeah, well, all the best to him. Hopefully, things. Uh... Yeah, you never want to. You never want to see anyone. No. Nah. Uh, go through something like that, but um, yeah, you got to look at the positive sides of it and what what the positives will be once um, he's recovered and, and comes through it, and I guess the the positive elements that it and the positive potential it has to affect uh, others and help others potentially. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, who was I thinking of? Uh, now I've lost the thought that I had. Someone last week I was talking about activated an option. Now we were talking about contracts last week before I moved on. We were talking about a couple of players uh, that now have the potential to make moves or clubs that have to make moves. The first thing we saw, which was no surprise for guys that did have guaranteed contracts, is a few people activate some clauses for a one-year extension and at least get a little more security given uh, they know what they're getting paid this year and they know that moving forward they're going to be either paid in full or a percentage uh, of what they've got. That It's obviously hard for those guys that are off contract, but one of the first names I saw the other day was Felice Cafusi, who's locked himself in for another year at Melbourne. So, no That's su- right, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, no surprise to see that the first kind of player movement in that market isn't guys that are signing deals to move or redoing new deals, but blokes that do have options. Uh, obviously, they're just getting themselves a little bit of security. Uh, in these crazy times, he won't be the last one. That's for sure. Yeah, it's also it's not a time when you really want to be moving around, is it? Nah, they know. Like I said, that moving forward, if you have years, you're guaranteed that amount. Plus, you know, unless something happens within this restructure and the new TV deal, or if that does get done, what the salary cap's going to be moving forward. So I think if you can buy yourself another twelve months, like a few of these guys can, it's not a bad situation to look at it. Hopefully, next year when things are a bit more normal and redo your contract. Yeah. But, yeah, there's talk about a couple of other players. Toby Rudolph, uh, most wouldn't know a whole lot about. He debuted for the Sharks, had a really good junior career with South Sydney, but had to detour to the Queensland Cup for a couple of years. Uh, the Warriors apparently have made a big play for him, a three-year deal, which it's, it's not a bad idea to go after someone who's young and got potential, but three years, and I don't know what kind of money, but I'm surprised this early that they're going in very hard, but... Uh, that would be an interesting one for the Sharks to have to contend with. Yeah, uh, exactly. And there's also a bit of talk that Jason Saab, the, the gun winger who we knew a bit about from his schoolboy days playing some football, who had a couple of games last year for the Dragons, uh, that he's potentially to look around for an opportunity. There's no link to what clubs, but surely he'd be disappointed when we talk about the Dragons trying to develop juniors and get players through, that only after a year you've got a guy who's only 19 years old, still growing, is probably going to be really, really good moving forward. Um, that, you know, you, you may lose somebody like that after only 12 months. Yeah, well, it's probably a, a sign that, um, you know, the money they've spent on the likes of the Zach Lomaxes and these guys, isn't it? Mm. That you're just running short in the outside backs. 
Well, they, they re-signed Pereira, who I do like. He's solid. Ravala was off contract. I think Saylor is off contract this year. Only got one year. Lomax obviously got a huge deal. Um, but, yeah, for someone like Saab, who is that prototypical kind of build right now, almost like a Tupo, but he's still actually putting size on his frame. He's a mix of almost an Oates and a Tupo. Yardage, jumping up high, contending for balls. Like You don't expect him to be dominating and playing first grade right away. But 19 years old, still growing. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the last day or two, and a few people I spoke to that there's a lot of clubs interested. So for the few they've got off contract, I think I'd be making more of a priority for a young talent like that uh, as opposed to a couple of the other options they've got there. Yeah, no argument out of me. Not um, not paying overs, mind you, but I'd at least be you know. Well, particularly in that you 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 would be able to you know you would at least you would think get him at a better price. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Local junior, you've brought him to your pathways. Just he hasn't played a stack of first grade. No, it's, it's more. He just, hasn't he hasn't set the world on fire when he has. Have that conversation or let them know that you know it's it's on the radar rather than letting things get too advanced with other clubs and other people that are sniffing around. We always talk about developing players or having juniors coming through if you've got a good one. Yeah, particularly in, in this current environment. Like, you don't know where development's going to move. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time within the game to see just what happens with, you know, junior reps and jersey flag and development pathways and whether the way that the game restructures is going to incentivise those that develop or whether development's sort of going to be put on the back burner or made the responsibility of uh, the, the governing body or, um, you know, the states. It's, yeah, it's hard to know how that's all going to look at, at this point in time. It'll just depend on how the funding allocation comes down and how clubs decide to restructure. But there's already, already you know, multiple stories of... Um, you know, and I know multiple people who have been, who are at a club, who are now not at a club uh, because of, or as a result of this current virus. So uh, it's certainly taking its toll, and it's the game won't look exactly the same as what it did prior to um, prior to all this hitting. And, and I'm not so much talking about the NRL; I'm more talking about junior pathways and development. So it's it's going to. Uh, yeah, probably incentivise, I would imagine, uh, the clubs that that uh, develop. Hundred percent, and I think uh, that point you made. We had a question the other week about it, but we spoke about it. Is what's kind of a bare minimum staff for what clubs work with, and then on the flip side, we brought up that that's going to be a necessity because let's be honest, a lot of people just look over the fence in rugby league and look at the uh, you know trying to keep up with the Joneses. If someone's got four physios, they want a couple of physios, extra assistance a sports scientist, a head of performance, a couple of guys in the gym. Like, I know, again, I've said it year before we kicked off about a few blokes spoke to this week about how many assistants do you have or what have you got in the gym? And I won't name names, but one in particular was like, well, there's three or four assistants. You've got your specialist coaches like we know about. Some people have your wrestle coach or a kicking coach, your halves coach or someone they bring in. Three or four guys helping out in the gym along with your head of performance, someone just for stretching. Like, a lot of people are spending money for the sake of spending money, and there's jobs within jobs. Like it's, it's no different to what's going to happen at HQ with all these cuts. There's guys in positions that are, you know, there's just a bloke under a bloke under a bloke, or you know, a girl under a girl. There's just jobs for the sake of jobs in some cases. And when you well, streamline, we, uh, we operated with six staff at a junior rep level, under 18s level, and I never felt understaffed. Hmm. 
So and you, you hear about NRL, um, NRL teams that are operating with, you know, upwards of between 20 and 30. Uh, it's crazy. I think the, the one area you wouldn't want to cut back on, I messaged you earlier about this, that's just my opinion, but the biggest thing you know when you're playing, especially at those levels, the longer the year goes, the more bumps, bruises, everyone's playing injured or they've got a problem. If there's yeah. one area you don't want to be cutting out of, it's your rehab and physio stuff. If you've got a couple of physios or you've got a good rehab set up, that's just a non-negotiable. As far as having one guy to stretch, one, three guys in the gym, like most of those guys encompass a couple of those roles. There's yeah. some people that are just there for the sake of it. The whole like four assisted thing, if, you, if you're a decent head coach, you want to know you've got good people around you, hopefully that you can trust. But at the same time, I don't think you want to be micromanaging things to the point of having four assistant coaches. Like, realistically, four assistant coaches are ridiculous. if you had two good assistants and yourself in charge overseeing everything and being involved, that those between you and those two, that should be plenty. Yeah, agreed. And again, if, if you're a real decent, confident and competent head coach, you probably wouldn't want more than that because if you have different ideologies or someone running off and doing their own thing that like we spoke about before, or little clashes, you'd hope to think that the more streamlined you have it, if you've got two good assistants... Um, that you're not going to be undermined and you've all got the same kind of methodology and ideology about what you want to do, how you want to play, your attitude as a team, um, rather than having so many, you know, maybe different idiosyncrasies or ideas within a coaching group. I mean, you spoke about that the under-20 setup, like when there's four or five coaches that all want to be involved, you all want to have a part to do with it, but you don't necessarily want to do everything the same way. Yeah, but it's also just four different techniques, philosophies, um, and that's not full-time staff. I I can understand how it works from an NRL perspective because those guys, it's their full-time job. So they want to all be on the same page, Uh, but I I just think four is too many. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, again, like we say... Like as a head coach, I would hate to to be managing four assistants. And I, I, I understand, I honestly don't know how each of them would have their own specific role. It's very, very, very broken down. Even if you had O and D, it's like, okay, well, is one specifically, you know, doing only good ball or only working with backs and halves and you've got one person with your forwards or defensively you've got someone purely doing edges or someone doing slab or someone doing tap, restart, set plays. Like, it's it's getting really, really micromanaging and you don't want that anyway. You're when, you're, when you're full-time... You are. I mean, you can you can do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. So much time. Anyway, so, yeah, it's the game's just it really needs to have a look at it. They need to have a cap for football staff, which you know I think they've they've had a soft cap, which really have, have they really policed it to the letter of the law that they they probably should be. You know, some of these stories tells you no, they probably they probably aren't. Uh, they rely a lot on, um, from a sports science perspective, they rely on a lot of interns. Mm. People know, from the university so are people who aren't who don't cost money. So it's probably important to to state that. But um, from from a coaching perspective and assistant coaching perspective, they're all on a decent wedge. That's for sure. Yeah, and to be paying four of them is um, ridiculous. You know, and you got Shane Flanagan. Um, is, you know, like you look at him, you look at someone like Jason Taylor, uh, you look at someone like Trent Barrett, who are assistants, who are ex-first graders, uh, sorry, ex-first grade coaches, who would be demanding pretty big money, I would imagine. 
So if you're going to have them and then throw on top another one or two assistants, like you're looking at, I don't know what, what sort of coin, but you're looking at between at least half a mil, probably close to a million if you've got four assistants. Yeah. In terms of what we're, what we're spending financially. If you've got a couple of hundred thousand in different assistants or even if you're a low-level assistant who may be on, you know, 100K, 120, you don't know, but your high-level assistants would still be pulling. If you've got four, you're probably looking at it. They'd probably all be on 150 a pop. Minimum. A year, yeah. So If you're a smaller club. And, and then that's what I'm saying. Like, if you've got a Flanagan or a... Um, yeah, you might be paying 250 or, or 200. Things. Yeah, you might be paying a little bit more than that. So it depends on what you got. But I think, again, when we talk about cost-cutting as far as what the game's going to be doing and everything going forward, I think uh, clubs will definitely have to be a bit smarter with the way they spend their money, even if they do get the full club grant moving forward. I think there's going to be a bit more onus on them to save some of that money or invest some of that money rather than just spend it on every single dollar. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and, and there really hasn't been an incentive for clubs to be financially viable and to make a profit no. because the NRL's for too long just bailed teams out, bailed clubs out of financial trouble. So the sooner they can get in and say, hang on a minute, look, enough's enough. You know, firstly, the salary cap's going to drop a little. Secondly, um, you know, we're going to put a cap on how many, how many football staff you've got. And straight away, you're going to cut some guts out of uh, some frivolous spending and some unwarranted spending within the game. And then if, if they're going to do that in head office as well, Automatically, you're on the right track, uh, and, you know. And then, and then around that, you're just going to look at the things that we, the the things that you really need, and things that you, you know, you don't, you might not, or you could go without, and just get rid of those for the, for the time being. Um, I think it's it's a perfect time for a real strip back in the game, uh, because I I personally don't believe you're going to see, uh, as a result of all these staff cuts, I don't think you're going to see a, a huge uh, drop in the standard of the game. No. And that's got to be a message for the for the clubs and for the game itself to say, well, what we really need to be looking at is uh, probably the uh, your, your development, your next generation. Let's let's put all that time and money into that, uh, and also, like you said last week, buying some assets, uh, ha- having some um, some things that the game can fall back on in tough times, which have been just left ridiculously short in. Uh, this time around, mm. and, and, you know, it is a one in a hundred year thing, and I, I get that. Uh, but you know, there is going to be another one in one hundred year thing in however long, mm. and we need to make sure that next time that happens, that we're prepared for it. Yeah, um, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think uh, just finishing up on that sort of side of things, we may not, we not be, probably won't be around when something like this happens again. But the whole point of everything is to build for the future or sustainability for the future, not just for the here and now. So everything we do from here on out, given this reset and the situation we've had, has to go towards long-term, you know, obviously prosperity, but survival. Yeah. It can't just be, you know, thinking about tomorrow or thinking about the next paycheck or thinking about the next club grant or for players, the next salary cap number and what it is and how much are we going to get. Everything still has to partly lean towards survival and long-term prosperity. And I think clubs, yeah. same deal moving forward. If they're going to give them the full grant and the players are going to get the full cap, which it seems like the ARLC and Volandis and Project Apply and everything they're doing is heading in that direction, which is real positive to keep 
you know, the most important parts of everything going, which are the clubs and the t- players who deliver the product, more needs to come on that end, in particular from the clubs and the way they're run, in particular the clubs that don't have a setup like a Penrith or a Brisbane who have got external income, which has obviously been hurt at the moment, but they've got other means of earning. Clubs need to be smarter with the money they get from the NRL. It, it can't yeah. be acceptable anymore just to piss the whole $13 million grand or whatever it is up the wall. You've got your salary cap. You've got your four-point-something million dollars left over. Some of that has to go into a bank or some of that has to go into a turn deposit or an investment or whatever. And again, there has to be a little more management over spend, staff, etc. It just can't be... All right. Yeah, but it's also going to be... Uh, clubs need to, to generate some profit themselves. Yeah. You know, th- there's got to be some incentives around that. And you're more likely, again, to have a profit or have something left over from that situation where if your club you know, at least breaks even or you do find a profit out of that and you don't just piss all that money up the wall for the sake of it to keep up with the Joneses, that you might end up with something left in the bank. Yeah, but, exactly right. Yeah, habits have to change, most definitely, for a lot of clubs. Oh, I think they will now. Oh, I think they, they definitely will now. And, look, clubs, are, you know, this is just um, at a guess with knowing some of the staff cuts that have been made, but... I would imagine that the clubs and club staff, from office staff to football staff, are going to be cut by probably a third. Mm. Close to, I reckon. Mm. So straight away you're cutting out a lot of that fat. Uh, and look, there's there's been some um, stories of guys who I can't believe have been punished from NRL clubs. Uh, and you know that, that that should just serve as a message that. Uh, we weren't as financially well off as what we thought as a game. No. Were we? We were, we were living essentially from pay to pay, no. grant to grant. Well, basically, you know, the old renter. Just, just, just thinking that, uh, you know, there's, there's no way that the competition won't be on. Um, there's no way that the competition will be stopped. So, you know, we were guaranteed to get this money and we've, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's, it's been a, a crazy and ridiculous manner in which this has happened. But uh, nevertheless, it's happened, hasn't it? So mm. and we, we just haven't... We've been found super short in terms of being prepared for it. Mm. Well, we can't be the 21-year-old who's just finished uni, got a degree, renting, living in the city right now, enjoying every week and pissing up every dollar of his pay in between living and going to work. We yeah, need to correct. be a bit more responsible. We're now going to behave more like someone who's in their mid-40s, got a decent job, got a family, got a house, mortgages paid down, and you're looking for investments, put money in your super, looking at the long term. We're, Correct. We're, we're past that point where we're living week to week and having that kind of lifestyle. We need to be looking long term. Yeah. I guess, uh, again... No, look, the self-interest has got to go out. Uh, that's the other one. But, again, we know rugby league. Rug, there's a lot of things that are hard to shake in rugby league, which is another reason why we brought up the point at the start of the show that it seems regardless of how much effort's going in to get this back on the track, it seems like there's a hurdle or something, uh, whether it be to do with players or a club or whoever, that seems to throw a hurdle on the way at every step. But, yeah, the big thing, I guess, for us to talk about this week about all things that are going on, the bigger topics that have been going on the last day besides the anti-vaxxer thing, uh, the positive news first and foremost that we are pushing towards a new deal and a, a good situation for everybody long term, but on the back of that deal also came the talk about what we spoke about a few weeks ago, and just then, basically, is the cuts and the streamlining of the game that could potentially 
save us $50 million, which to me, I've spoke about a lot of areas, and in particular, I've heard a couple of ex-players uh, without... I guess not disagreeing with him completely, but a few saying, oh, like in particular about development officers, I can't believe they'd get rid of some of them. I stick by what I said the other week. Some of the development officers are honestly taking the piss. Uh, there's some blokes that get those jobs post-playing that barely lift a fucking finger, don't really do... Yeah, they, they don't do as much as what is made out by a lot of the players. And I, again, I'm not saying I'm not an ex-player. I'm an ex-player. I've got blokes that I'm friends with that are still playing first grade or coaching or doing bits and pieces now. But we know some people in those jobs that honestly don't do the job they should be doing. So you, you look at half of them and think that there's millions of dollars there just in rented cars, laptops, uniforms, and pay. Um, there's a lot of other areas, obviously, higher up that we're talking about at HQ, where there'd be jobs under jobs under jobs where people are just passing little bits off that they could just do within one role. But a lot of those cuts I don't have a problem with. The one thing that came out of this, which is the bigger effect, was the referee chat. And probably for the first time in a lot of things we've heard from Volandis or things that have been happening... Uh, going back to one referee, we've had arguments in years gone by, but if it's purely a, a, cutting, a, a cost-cutting exercise as far as this season's concerned, I'm not really a big fan of just going straight back to one referee right now if it's purely on money. Um, a lot of the time, like a lot of the coaches seem unanimously to be against it, or for the most part, it seems like they're against it. Most of the times I'd say fuck the coaches because we all know being coaches ourselves, their self-interest is only for what benefits them. Um, but at the same time... Well, yeah, I, see, I disagree with that. I, I don't think as a coach I ever look at rules and think, well, I want that just because of me. No, I mean, at an NRL but level... It should always just be about what's best for the game, sure. Well, like, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's more... The issue is, is that yeah, they're always going to try and manipulate rules, and I don't think you're ever going to get rid of that element because um, coaches are trying to win. At the elite level, um, that you know, because their jobs are on the right line, and their uh, their their job security, I guess, is determined by results. So you're always going to have sort of that element, aren't you? But yeah, I certainly don't think as a coach that I uh, I look at rules and what rules to benefit my team. But I guess at the elite level, I can understand why coaches are. I guess skew that way, but I've probably got a problem with the fact that the coaches are even asked. That's probably not the right way to say it. I I think to ask them is is, is okay and to get their opinion is okay, but I think to have coaches on committees and um, making these decisions, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's their place to influence the fabric of the game because in the end, they're going to leave the game. At, at whatever point in time, and they're going to move on, and the game, the game's still going to be there. We need to make sure that there's people who are making these decisions around rules. Firstly, who know the game? No argument there. We need people. We need the best minds making these decisions. But we need people who don't have vested interest, either within a club or from a coach or you know whatever perspective it is that may skew and may add an element of bias. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is we need to evaluate the evaluators, really. Does, does that make sense? Like, to sort yeah. of say, well, we've got these people evaluating it, but what are their motives? Mm, and that's kind of the point I'm getting at. We all know, like it or not, that most coaches, all these rule committees every summer in bits and pieces, they're, they're never going to agree with something that goes against the mould of the way they play or what benefits their team. In this current situation, uh, for the most part, this basically affects everybody. 
there's a good reason I think most coaches aren't a fan of the potential one referee setup, let alone the potential six again call, which is the other part to come with it where you just call six again on a ruck infringement and play on. Uh, most seem to think that it's got too big of an effect on the short term uh, and it's, you know, kind of causing to question the validity of the comp this year. I don't agree with that. I just more think this is, of all the changes you could make to the fabric of the game after doing it for a whole decade on such short uh, such short notice, I don't think this is one that I'd agree with right now, purely, again, if it's more down to cost-cutting. If we look at the international game and we say, OK, well, the international game seems to do fine and we don't see howlers and this, that and the other, well, your sample size is not really that great either. We have eight week eight games a week of NRL as compared to a handful of international games at the end of the season. If we play a tri-series or a couple of exhibition matches, there might be three, four, six internationals at the end of the season. We're talking 24 rounds generally of eight games plus a final series. Like We've got hundreds of games. There's a big difference yeah. in sample size between making wrong decisions or having one referee as compared to having the two referees. And um, As you generally do see in those international games, sometimes the ruck is terrible. And the 10 metres is good. Or sometimes you watch one of those games and, you know, the opposite. The rucks are really well policed, but then the 10 metres might be short or blokes are shooting or they're getting offside. And that comes back to, well, if you went back to one referee, there's more responsibility on the touch judges. But currently right now, and we've complained the last few years in particular. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details even with the two referees that the touch judges do fuck all. Yeah. So, you know, and then the quality of your referees, if you do cut that down and you go to the, the number they're talking, 10 referees, realistically, you're saving money, yes. Uh, you've probably got the 10 best re- referees that you think you've got left over, yes. Uh, but do some of your better referees stay around to be touch judges? Is that the way it goes? Or do you stick with the young people that have been solely doing that job? Are they willing to pick up the slack and start to be more involved with the game? Um, you know, and we realistically don't know 100% what the end result would be. But from a player's perspective, if I go back to the way I'm playing or the last time I played, I'm pretty sure if there was no one policing the ruck like there was before, that the ruck would be messier. So then it's going to come down to that ref's interpretation and does he have the balls to take control of the game and probably do what happened a couple of years ago and blow the piss out of the whistle to establish early on that they're not just going to be able to get away with whatever they want in the ruck. But then on the exactly. flip... Yeah, look, yeah. I, I think to not have a pre-season to adjust to this for both the referees and the players is going to be an issue. I don't like it. I agree we need to cost-cut, but I think we should not be cost-cutting things that are going to impact directly on the field, Yeah. particularly with a short not period right now. of preparation time. Um yeah, I, I don't like it. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it at all. I, I think the restructure or the change that I would make is to say that we're going to have two referees, but we're going to have a lead referee and we're just going to have an assistant referee. Then you could group those referees and then promote and relegate 
within a system to head referees. So if you're a head referee, you're on this much money. If you're an assistant referee, you're on this much money. And if you're a touch judge, you're on this much money. And then you could incentivize performance through pay. Yeah. I think that would be a, a, a good way to, to, to start. Uh, I would also trim the elite squad of referees. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I, I think that if you're a touch judge, you should be doing at least two, two games a week. If you're an assistant referee, there's no reason why you couldn't do two games a week, particularly if you if that is your full-time job. Like, if we're going to pay them full-time, uh, let's let's utilise the money that we're spending and have our best people, uh, you know, officiating in as many games as we possibly can. Uh, I don't understand how they how they how they couldn't an assistant referee how they how they could do um, two games a weekend. Mm. I think they definitely could. I think the other argument is well, we brought the two referees in to stop the wrestle, and that hasn't improved either way. But again. Like I said, at the end of the day, to break that, it's going to come back to a referee. If you take... want to get rid of the wrestle, you need more penalties mm. and more suspensions. Exactly. And I guess like we said before, um, two, one, doesn't matter. It's up to the referee to decide, okay, well, that's an infringement. Blow the piss out of it like we tried to do a couple of years ago where we were trying to break that mould and we went to one of the ugliest games of all at Shark Park there, Storm Sharks. It was, I think it was 40-plus penalties. Smith got binned. Great night for that side of things, and people were cheering and laughing and having a good laugh. But we were frustrated there, just as observers watching the game, because it was a shit game. And again, at the end of the day, we all did what we shouldn't do. Everyone blamed the refs. The media got onto the refs. Todd Greenberg bowed to that pressure in the end and said, "Oh well, we need to stop nitpicking." And the players and the coaches got their way. The only way you get change is to stick to your guns. Let a referee be confident if we're going to go back to one that he's going to be in control and control that game and then the onus needs to go back on the behaviour of the coaches and the players to change if that's what we want um, I don't know if like I just said I just think it's way too short a notice again does it really affect the integrity of the competition considering we've stopped we've got 18 yeah, rounds the, left the, and problem, the problem is the direction of the referees and the, the lack of um Consistency in their interpretations. Yeah, well, they've all got different interpretations, don't they? Yeah, but it, it, what I'm more talking about is, like you said, Todd Greenberg says, we're going to crack down, and then six weeks later he says to the referees, yeah. well, no, nah, actually, stop nitpicking. Well, we, we bowed to pressure because people complained. Yeah, well, but we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. That's my point. And, you know, the philosophy and the direction that we give the referees, we need to trust them to stick to it and to, to, to play it out and then reevaluate it. You definitely need to be able to reevaluate while, while ever you're sort of um, going through the process of putting into place your direction. There's no no argument about that. Like if it's clearly not working, you need to change. But like you said, I think too often we just we react to pressure and react to. Again, we need to evaluate the evaluators. Like who, at times you need to think about why is that person saying that and how will it benefit them if it changes and. Too often it's coaches, it's it's members of the media, it's you know members of boards, it's people who have vested interest in clubs who are making comment, and too often as a game we react to them when we shouldn't. Hmm. I think end of the day I we was st- a firm believer when we went through that period of time that we needed to stick to it. Yeah, firm and believer. And I, you know, I think you were as well, but we were a, we were a minority during that time. Hmm. Because if you're gonna um, if you're gonna do it, you need to see it through. And I thought they. 
were getting to that point where the coaches and the players were starting to complain. And it's like, well, the onus is on you to change. If you change, you know, this will go away. But we bowed it. I thought that kind of middle point. They got to that melding point where we might have started to see an adjustment or they might have worked a little bit more with the direction of the way the referees were trying to go. But because of the heat they were copping, uh, it seemed at the time that Greenberg was basically looking to release the pressure valve and uh, the referees just went back to doing what they were doing previously. Yeah, exactly right. The big thing here, everyone's argued to their blue in the face. There's been opinions from refs, ex-players, coaches, everyone involved in the game now, past, present. But as a player and or a coach, I look at this two ways. Um, As a player, again, if I was playing now and you told me straight away there was no one policing the ruck, it's a lot easier to get away with shit. I don't care what anyone says. The one person's going to have to blow the pee out of it. So you can't tell me that if there's one referee, they're not going to try more in the ruck. They're definitely going to try more in the ruck. So to me, if it goes back to one referee, the number one thing you need to see straight away is more penalties. Whether you like it or not, I think that's going to be the result. Because if that one referee just lets it go and there's no one in the ruck, there's going to be a lot more shit going on. I don't care what anyone says. In the, in the short term, yeah. definitely, yeah. Unless they're willing to take control and be dominant. And again... But in the long term, it should be that it looks it's a better game and less penalties, really. 100%. Uh, but yeah, on the flip side, for anyone that says, well, the two referees was brought in for that reason and stopped the wrestle, etc., and whatnot, well, again, we did try to go through that period, like we just said, and we crumbled. We broke. We let the clubs, we let the players, we let the coaches win that situation again. But as far as the long-term direction, I just, I just don't like the idea that it's purely on cost. Unless we can justify that we think it'll make it a better product or it'll have a better effect on the game or the direction of the game, and the way things are refed and the way things are played, well, again, how do you trial that? I think if you're going to go back to one ref, we said this before we went on, these supposed trials that they're talking about having with the players that are left over from the squads, if you want to trial that for the rest of the year in there, I've got no problem with that. Exactly. Do, do as much as you want within those and games. Get some numbers on it. See if the play the ball speeds are changed. See what the penalty counts are. Like, Let's see the GPS tracking for the one referee. Is he racking up extra kilometres? Is there extra strain? Is it viable moving forward that one referee can do a game a week? Uh, maybe a second game? Like whatever we were just talking about before. But you need to look at all these different little variables and as to how it affects the game. Uh, but the other rule about the six again, I like it in theory, especially as a spectator. And if you're on attack and that you could play on and go again, but... It depends where you're on the field. It's not that easy just to bring in a rule change as big as that and say, well, the referee waves his arm six again. That's a ruck infringement. We play on. Well, if I'm inside 30 and I've got a really, really good goal kicker, I might want to take the two. If I'm inside my red zone, we've just taken two or three carries and they're teeing off on us and we're not getting out and we get an offside penalty, I don't want six again. I want to stop. I want to regather my thoughts. I want to kick for touch. Like there's there's situations where I look at that rule and go, well, that... Well, particularly like if, for example, we've just defended our try line for five minutes. Yeah, you want to keep touch. And we get a penalty coming out. Yeah, like, I, I just want to be able to put the ball down on the ground for a, for a minute or two and, and, you know, talk about the decision that we're going to make and suck that air in for yeah. a little bit. Right away um, here, though, we're coming from a coach's perspective and what a player would be thinking, but the whole point of this rule, I get it again, speed up the game bring in fatigue, make it a better product, et cetera, et cetera. But you're going away again from the fabric of what you've got, which is penalties, kicks for touch, penalty. Like, that's all part of the fabric of the game. So if you're just going to say it's going to continue to roll, 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 I think that's a lot bigger rule than it seems to just say he waves his arm and you go again. I really do. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that one, 
needs to come with some conditions around it. And again, players, coaches, anyone that's talked about it has said the same thing. It all sounds good in theory, but what does it look like? Like to me, if you're going to make that call, there need to be a defined period of time or you can stop at that play the ball if you want to take the two or take the pending goal instead of the six again. But the, the captain's challenge just came in. So if you brought this rule in, when's there ever going to be a stoppage for you to take a captain's challenge as much as I think that rule so far has been a complete flop? Like, there's a lot of variables to it, but realistically, the only way I'd see that six-again rule being taken or really being advantage is if you're in good ball or if you're rolling. Um, but at the same time, again, I just brought up that but point. Then, yeah, then you're making different rules for different parts of the field. Exactly, and that's... We yeah, don't, we, it, I think, that, again, it's... It's a complicated... Really, we really don't need to confuse the game. No, nah, it's, it's a really... It, it seems so simple, but it has a lot of variables to it when you look at it. Yeah, it does. Um, Absolutely, it does. And it doesn't always benefit you. We talk about it all the time when people say, why do teams struggle to attack inside the 10? Well, it's the hardest place to attack. Basically, well, less, less space. Less space. If you're a defender, it's easy. You've only got one direction to go. It's forward. You're cutting down time and space. As an attacker inside the 10, you need to lose meters to make meters. You've got to play with a hell of a lot more depth to be able to execute any of the shapes you've got and or you need to quick play the ball in that limited space to get going again. It's easy to say, oh, well, you know, you could wear a team down if they refuse to you know, get out of the ruck or give away penalties. But if you're crowded playing inside the 10 and you just keep rolling six again, as, as much as the normal penalty uh, you know, is, a, is something that teams like to give away to just to reset themselves, it's, I don't think it's going to stop your teams like your Melbournes, your Roosters that are better in that situation from backing themselves to hold in for maybe 10 or 12 tackles and, and force an error instead. So I just think you need to have that option there, that if you are down there against those teams that are really resilient, that... You know, you need to be able to take the two if you want to, or on the flip side, I still don't understand why we don't have the five-minute sin bin. I don't understand what was ever so complicated about that rule where we have some guys that will warn you after three penalties, we'll have some refs that will let you go six penalties, and again, we go back to interpretation, rather than just saying, look, inside 20, or in particular inside 10, three penalties, someone goes for a five-minute. Done. Yeah. It should be that simple. It should be capped. So if you're... Resetting constantly, doing what we were saying, where they steal time, they're right, give away a penalty, reset, and go, all right, come us it again. Three times as far as I'm concerned, inside 10, five minutes in bin. When you get them down to 12, you're more likely to score. And they're less likely to do that continuously throughout the game when you get your opportunities in good ball. But, yeah, I, I think those two things in particular uh, are, are very, very big. I'm all for the streamlining of things that don't have a direct effect on the game and where we are probably a little bit top heavy, but I think the referees thing right now not for the coaches not for those like out there that are like oh you know they're filthy for their own self-interest like you were talking about before I'm not about the self-interest of the players and the coaches who would be looking at this going oh well that changes how we think about the game if anything it's probably even fairer for the first time ever that they don't have time to adjust because they're all just going to have to deal with it but for me for the fabric of the game and the fact we've had two referees for a decade I don't like that change happening right now and that other rule would need to be clarified because, yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated than just saying it'll speed the game up. Yeah, if we're just going to go back to one referee, I don't have a massive issue with that. But if you're throwing in one referee plus then the rule change, oh, I think it's just too much. Yeah. So that's, that's probably where I sit on it. Like, would I prefer us to stick with the two refs? Yes. But probably in the structure that I've uh, mentioned earlier. Um. Well, it should be, yeah. If, if not, I don't have a massive, I don't have a massive issue with it. If you're doing very well, you, you might. Beca- I can just, I can just see where this is going to go. Like it's, it's, it's going to get to that point where. We're not happy with one ref. 
Yeah. Why do we ever change it? We rushed to change it. We, we made this decision too quickly. And then we're going to look to start to point the finger at, you know, who there's made howlers, the decision. There's human error, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We don't want the bunker, but now if we've got one referee, do we need the bunker? Be careful what you wish for. But, you know, did we need the bunker more if we've got one referee? Is that a better way to cost cut there and keep the two referees but not have four guys sitting in the bunker and just go back to the one-man video ref? Yeah, well, like if we're cost cutting, surely the bunker's the first thing to go. Well, I asked that. One, just have one video rest. How many are in the bunker usually? Three minimum. No, too many. So again, you're paying for the technology. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Again, they bought that whole setup, so they're already invested in it. But no, they're they're renting. Well, there you go. If there's three or four there every week, surely it's cheaper to go back to the one man video ref and keep the two referees rather than have three or four in the bunker, two touch judges, two referees. Yeah, but. I don't mind the pay scale thing you've come up with. I'm pretty sure they only just argued last year for a new pay deal or better conditions or whatnot for the job they're doing. But I don't mind the fact that it says if you're a lead referee all year, you might make 250, 300K, whatever the top is. I think they're saying the top referee can make up to 300 grand. But if you have a couple of bad weeks, like we spoke about in the past, instead of getting relegated and getting your full pay or what you're locked into, if you get demoted to the pocket ref or you get demoted to a touchy, you get paid a flat rate for that week. So you may be employed for the whole season, you're locked in there, but your potential earnings comes down to your performance. So if you're a lead referee for the whole year, bang, all right, you've done Origins, you've done this, that, and the other, you might get a couple of bonuses, you're 300 plus. If you've varied between lead ref and pocket ref or pocket ref and touch judge, you might make $150,000, I I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, I think we should have referee of the week. We We should celebrate good refereeing performances because we don't do that enough. We should highlight it. I'm not sure how you do it. Mm. Like it's a bit of a flippant comment, but but I think that also may go. I try and make sure whenever I'm coaching a game that if I win, lose, or draw, if I get if I feel as though the referees refereed the game well, yeah. I, re, I try and get to the referee at some point after the game just to say, look, um, well, ref, like good job, yeah. Just so because all too often that relationship between coaches and referees is just frosty. It's you know, they're just expecting that you're going to go in there and complain. Whereas I think as coaches, you've got a responsibility to sort of say to the referees, look, um, good job. That was great. Like, you did a good job out there. So that, so that they understand what we're all looking for. And we're all rugby league fans. We just want to see good games and a good product. So I think they need to be aware of what what is good. And a lot of these guys that are refereeing haven't played before. Mm. So they don't, they don't understand flow, and they don't understand what a good game looks like. They, you know, to them a penalty is a penalty, regardless of where it is on the field. And they, sometimes they don't understand context and playing advantage and all these different things, and they just get abused. And they're trying to do the best job that they possibly can do. So I think it's important that we try and celebrate our referees as well to incentivise good performance and to incentivise people taking it up. Hundred mm. percent. Well, I stick with what I said before. To me, this is something to be looked at, but not right now. Could it be a save in the future? Yeah, it might be a save in the future. But for this season, when we're 16 days away or whatever we are right now, I don't think it's the right time to do it. Surely yeah. it's not oh, a, it's not a big enough urgency right now. But like the, the, the number was what everyone talked about the other day. Is it half a million? Is it one million? Today they're reporting it could save a potential $3 million out of the $50 million. Like, I know every dollar counts right now, but surely for this year on its own right now, it's not worth, you know, probably unseating multiple people out of their jobs and saving that money for such a big adjustment about something we have not looked into. If anything, if you want to experiment with it, if we do get these in-house games between the clubs, if you want to go back to the one referee model there, 
and get some data and get some numbers and have a look at a few of those variables we talked about before, whether it be the kilometres from the refs, fatigue, the decisions, the ruck speed, how the game goes, uh, you know, reviewing afterwards nice and close what happens in those rucks. Does it work? Is it where we're heading? Should we go back to it? But I, I wouldn't make such a big decision right now after a decade of two being there. I, I think for for this short a notice, I think this is way too big a decision for, you know, the fabric of the game or how the game is played. So this is the first thing, again, like we said before, if I disagree with Valenius or I disagree with something they're going to do, when the time comes, I'll say it. And this is the first thing I disagree with. You're not a, a Valenti's dick rider this week. No, not, not in this situation, I'm not. But I will be on the flip side of this TV deal that we're about to talk about, which is not locked in yet. But a lot of people flipped out and said there's no way they should take less. You know, not a dollar less, you go for more. But again, you've got to look at the facts. Uh, if the ratings have gone down a little bit, everyone's lost advertising dollar, everyone's looking for a bit of long-term security. If looking at the numbers and right now you're only acting off speculation, it's an extension of four years on top of what's existing left. Right now, we get about three point six, uh, three hundred sixty million. Sorry, a year. They're going to make yeah. probably a, barely a ten percent haircut of about three hundred thirty million. But then you take into account not being so top heavy in the game. If you save thirty, forty million dollars, and the clubs and everyone's smarter, you're back over that same amount of money, if not more, and hopefully yeah, in a better gonna, position. They're going to cut some out of the salary cap too. So if you're in a better position all round and you've got some long-term security, when you've got no security at the moment and you've got no money in the bank, and don't forget they've still got to make it up to the players in the situation where they agreed with them the other year about this retirement fund and some other bits and pieces that were never part of the game. So there's a lot of areas here that need to be filled in. But I think the number one thing right now, if you can get it, is long-term security. Yeah. I agree with a lot of people you don't want to be premature, and I'd agree if it was some ridiculously low deal and we took a 40% discount or something along those lines. But if you're taking a little haircut for a bit of, of a safety net on top of what you've got left over to help out two long-term partners of the game so that everybody benefits and you all float each other for this period of time and hopefully all come out of the other side better, I really don't see what the issue is. I know a lot no, of people... I don't have an issue with it as long as there's, um, there's a few clauses in there for games that have significant increases in TV audiences that we get a little... We can... Um, we can enact and, and I guess, uh, trigger some bonuses. That, that, that's the only thing that I'd like to see put in the deal. Otherwise, uh, wrap, with, wrap with the deal. Mm. So, realistically, again, there's some finer details to come out. There's some bits and pieces that people think they know what's going on, but we won't until it's all out in the open. Until it's announced, yeah. Again, right. there's some talk, you know, Channel 9 again want to kind of have a cap on the amount of money they give each year, regardless of what's happening. Uh, again, we, we won't know until it's all finalised. But realistically, given the situation, what's happened, where we are in the world right now, streaming and all the things that have changed since the last time we did a TV deal have completely changed the landscape of the way people watch TV, watch this game, the ratings, the advertising dollar. It's changed for all mediums. It's not just, oh, the NRL product's significant, bang the drum. I'm the biggest fucking football fan out there, but you can't be that blind and just bang a drum and say, NRL is the best, I have to pay for it. The landscape has changed for Fox and it's changed for Nine. If they don't have the money and things have changed and they've got to readjust, then yeah, we've gone... Yeah, about... Again, we're talking about right now. Mm. We spoke about this. You're not... Like, right now, no one's making money. The NRL, not Channel Nine, not the sponsors, not anyone. That time's going to change. So we're talking... We're not talking about what's happening here and now because there's no footy. The game's not making any money right now. So and Channel Nine aren't making any money because they don't have league and they're they're not having to 
um, not having that sponsorship income as well. So, but, but it's going to change, and the game's going to be as strong as ever. It's going to be as, as uh, best managed as, as, as ever been in its history. So, I, I can only see positive things for rugby league. Mm. Um, and this TV deal, uh, I think, is 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 about right. Uh, but I would like, as I said, to see some triggers throughout it. Because I think the game is really going to take off. And I think probably the other key point to make here when people are like, don't do it straight away or don't lock in for that long, stability is not going to come in one year. Like, if this is not something for us and those networks that we're just going to be, oh, football's set up. Yeah, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. You incentivize it. Mm. Put the triggers in there to say, righto, because that, that benefits everyone. If Channel 9 are making a squillion out of, uh, out of advertising... That, all I'm saying is that the game deserves a little bit of a chop of that if it's if it's significantly more than what was agreed to in the TV deal. But Channel 9 certainly aren't going to say, no, we don't want to make too much money because we're going to have to give the NRL some of it if it's over what they were they projected that they would make through sponsorships. So, you know, it, it incentivises A, Channel 9 to put a good product on the, on the telly because, you know, I think for... You know, and as I've said on previous podcasts, I'm not sure that they have done a great job no. the best product on TV for, you know, a period of time. It has become stale. And to be honest, I, I don't watch Channel 9. And uh, unless it's Origin, unless I absolutely have to, uh, I, I prefer to watch Fox because I, I believe that Fox put a better product out there. And I criticised Fox last week for some of the stuff that they're putting out there. So it's not like I'm choosing sides here, but... I just think that we need to incentivise to everyone involved in the game, particularly those who are broadcasting and presenting it, to present it in a way where more people are going to want to watch it. And it's engaging and it's fun and it's it's professional and it's um, groundbreaking and it's, you know, keeping up with technology and, uh, you know, that we've got people in the boxes, uh, commentary boxes, that understand the modern game. Um, and I don't, I don't think we've done a good job of that. Uh, for the last few years. And, you know, Fox has got a few commentators there who, you know, we could all name publicly, but you just think, how are they getting a gig? And um, they're probably a little bit too old for, you know, the, the game. The game's gone past them a little bit. But, uh, look, I, yeah, from a presentation perspective, everyone's got to do a better job. We've got to clean the game up from an on-field perspective. We've got to clean it up from an off-field perspective so we don't have these black eyes. And then the broadcasters need to do a better job presenting it. And that's only going to mean that we've got more sponsors, more money. And more money is better, as you said, for the networks. It's better for the sponsors. It's better for, you know, better for the sponsors because they're associated with a product that isn't doing stupid things off the field and that's kicking ass on the field. Um, and it's better for the players because the more money, the more money that's in the game, the more money that they've, they're going to get paid. Look, it's a pretty simple equation for me. Everyone just needs to make sure that they're searching for best practice, really. Yeah. Like I said, if you would have told me coming into this situation right now that we could potentially get almost the same sort of money for years on top for a bit of stability and a bit of a re- rebuild and a bit of a rethink while we're going through this sort of time... Yeah, well, I mean, we, we disagreed on that. I, I was pretty adamant that we would because, we're, again, we're just... You're talking about the here and now. We can't sign a deal based on the here and now. And we're not. Uh, and uh, Yeah, the, the deal's about right. It's, it's about right. So let's get it on. Let's get the footy back on. 
we're very close. 16 days. Please, God, no more controversies, no more stuff-ups, no more rubbish. We just want to talk about football. But I think, like I said, those last couple of points were the bigger things. Uh, obviously, the potential TV deal that's coming, those cuts in operations and whatnot, which will obviously bring more money back into the game and more money, hopefully, that we can invest. Uh, the only disagreement within those cuts is obviously the referees and are those two things too big? Obviously, uh, a lot of the, the coaches have had their say and most disagree, it seems, in the last couple of days about one ref and the six again on the run. I just hope that Volandis doesn't rush those through because at the moment, like we said before, anything that seems to have gotten his way or any hurdles that have popped up, he's done an outstanding job in, in being someone who problem solves or gets it done. But in this one situation, I think they need to pull the reins up a little bit and even though most of the complaints seem to be coming from the current coaches, uh, I think a lot of the points they're making are fair. I don't think this is something you can just do right now. Um, this this is too big a decision, I think, to make right now. I think this needs a little more thought put into it. Put into it. Uh, this is something, hopefully, that we can be put off until at least the end of this season. And if it is a big point of contention, this should be our focus for the off-season. Yeah. Of getting back to one referee. Because that was the game for God knows how many years, almost 100 years, until we brought it in, I think, in 09 or 2010. So, I think, well, 2008 was the 100 years of rugby league. So if it was in 09, like I said, we went 100 years with one referee before we brought in the two. And the biggest reason for that was the wrestle. So we've said it was for the wrestle. It hasn't stopped the wrestle. So we either need to have a rethink if we go back to one or that rethink. Yeah, like you say, over a long sample size. We've had a decade and it seems like it hasn't made a hell of a difference. So. We either need to empower that one referee or we need to keep the two and have a rethink about something like that six-again rule. But again, I think they're two, two big changes that are, are on a little bit too much short notice. And I'd love it in the fact of what I said before. It doesn't leave a lot of time for the clubs and the coaches to fuck around with the rules or find a way to manipulate it. I, I'd love nothing more than a bit of a curveball where they can't prep for it. But at the same time, I think it may have too much of an effect on the game uh, to be thrown in just now. <laughs> so... That's about the only criticism I have so far uh, is this situation, and hopefully they can work through it together. But I think it's on the agenda apparently tomorrow at the ARLC meeting and Project Apollo to talk about the one referee situation. And obviously for the referee side of things, there's a lot of guys that are probably a little bit worried about their jobs. So I think uh, no surprise to hear that their union boss and a lot of them were a bit unhappy with the, with the news. And uh, I don't think they were really consulted too much they've kind of just kind of found out about it so uh, like I said I'm all for taking an axe to the game and, and trimming some fat where necessary but this one in particular I think needs a little more thought uh, agree other than that fingers crossed uh, this TV deal and everything gets across the line a lot of people have been talking about the draw today and that's a big point of contention I again don't really think like we said last week it's just as big a deal as what we think. No one's really got any video on anyone. Everyone's coming back off a fresh bat. It's going to take a couple of weeks to get going. No, I think I think more what the coaches are talking about now is um, planning for the game week. Mm. You know, obviously, you're gonna, your week's going to look different if you're Thursday night as compared to Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, I, I, again, it's it's not for the short for the yeah, it's it's not a normal year. Like for this first week or so, yeah, for the list of gripes and grievances, it's it's, it's yeah, really it's minor in the scheme of things. Once we're yeah. settled and we're close to round one, round one may be inconvenient, but the few weeks after that, they're going to know what's going on. Yeah, surely again, something like that—that's a fucking small hurdle in 
the big scheme of how much work's been put in to get this game no, back I, on. I think that's sort of why they're saying, like, it'd be, it'd be good to have it now, you know? Yeah, 100%. But like we said, TV deal, details are getting done and the possible extension, all that needs to be finalised. And even if that doesn't mean that the draw's released, I think maybe coaches are sort of going, well, can you just tell us sort of what you're thinking? Yeah. Um, and, and give it, and maybe behind closed doors they've got that. Uh, and if they do, like I, I don't feel as though as a fan that I need to have that information at the moment. Um, I, I understand how it, it's going to help clubs. So uh, the, the draw won't worry me at all. I'll just be wrapped to have footy back on. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, for me, I think that's about all I'd written down this week. Uh, they were the biggest points. Fingers crossed. Like I said, TV deal is done. Referee situation. The draw shouldn't be too far off before that is sorted. And the bigger part, again, the next two weeks, hopefully it's all quite less negativity. And within that week, when we get a bit closer to things kicking off, we start actually talking about games again, players, lineups, looking at the squads. Like when we get a bit closer to when we're on that kind of game week. Well, I, I, think, I think this time next week we'll have a draw. Yeah. That, that's my gut feeling. Hopefully right? we do. Yeah. Hopefully we do. You got anything else to add, mate? No, mate. Happy. Any uh, any new movies, books, TV shows? Nah, we're um, uh, we're going through. We're starting season three of Ozark at the moment. So we got through season two this week. So um, yeah, Belter show. Belter show. Uh, in terms of a book, I did I did get a new book this week. Hang on. What about you? No, I've, I've kind of been doing, I guess, what every man and his dog has been doing and the, the last dance with Jordan, I was a bit behind because work's been flat out. There's been uh, a lot of cable faults because everything's getting plenty of use at the moment with everyone being home. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think the weekend before I worked seven days, the week just gone I worked six days. The only day I had off was Sunday for half a day. So I think I've been trying to keep up with Last Dance. I only just got up to date yesterday. So I'm back on track. I've got two more up my sleeve that I haven't watched. So I've got seven and eight to watch. Same. I've only watched the first six. So for me, it hasn't been like usual where I'd probably watch it and go, shit, I want more. Because I've been so busy, I've been trying to keep up with it, which has been good. Yeah. Um, uh, the book is The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, who he wrote The Talent Code. So for coaches out there, it's probably a good one or for business managers, people that work in positions of leadership. Uh, yeah, good book. Good times. Good book, yeah. I, I uh, finished off the Bill Belichick book, got through the chapter about the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl, so... <laughs> did, didn't self-harm, so... I want to borrow that book from you. He's got two or three books, doesn't he? Yeah, well, none of them he's actually contributed to, so... Okay. Um, have you watched that documentary with him and Nick Saban yet? No, I haven't. The Belter. Did you give it to me? Yeah, I did. Yeah. On, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Is it on USB? USB. Yeah. Fuck, I don't even know what it is with the USB. I need to find it. Yeah, you need to sort your life out. Because I, I think I specifically even said to you, can you get that? Because I wanted to watch it. We got a few suggestions as well through um, the inbox this week of shows and books and um, some documentaries and all sorts of stuff. So keep them coming. Yep. And I've had had some messages yesterday from one of our listeners. I think it was Cam Irving about my, my Trump impersonations last week. And p- some people have obviously been 
seen a fair bit of him on the TV as of late. He's just a walking comedy show. Yeah, he's, he's not doing himself any favours, is he, old Trumpy boy? But um, he's... Uh, the bloke he's up against, that Biden, like, he can't even get a sentence out straight. So I don't think he's going to have any trouble getting re-elected unless they just say, we don't want Trump, we'll vote well, for anyone. Unfortunately, having, having a laugh, looking at the situation as it is, you listen to Rogan like I do. I can't remember who it was he had on not long ago and said, honestly, the sad part right now is if they had a debate, Joe struggles with his wording and getting things together and... Trump's not even going to have to talk politics. It's going to be more like a trolling contest. <laughs> He's just going yeah, to rip him to shreds. He'll just shred him, man. And then people are going to vote for him probably regardless of what he's got to say purely because of the fact that Trump will just troll him. Yeah. It's, like, it's quite yeah. insane to think that's where the world's got to, but it seems to be the way it is over there right now. So. Yeah, no doubt. But on the flip side, I said this to you when I was over there, uh, I went to a few different spots and different demographics and I worked with a guy who's an American and I, you know, in New York and Connecticut and some of the places with a better off and then some of the lower socioeconomic places, they all seem to love him. They just say the same thing that we just see the worst of him. And I'm like, well, it doesn't help that every single day he seems to produce material for international TV all around the world to broadcast. <laughs> yeah, but also, to, I think it's... We get small snippets. We don't understand the context. Mm. Uh, and particularly in his White House press conferences, like he's dealing with people in Washington who he deals with every day that he doesn't necessarily have strong relationships with. So, you know, the context around even the questions that are asked, some of the questions that are asked are just dog shit. Uh, and they're volatile and they're, they're trying to induce the type of response that he oh, gives them. And they get it. <laughs> they get it. Yeah, they get it. Because like, he's got no filter. Probably, but we know that that's him. Like yeah. He's, he's, he's got, going to hit you straight. Yeah. He's zero fucks given. He just lets it go. Yeah. Well, he's, he's not about to stop now. Nah. He, he's, um, he's showing that he, he literally does not care. <laughs> but I, I don't think he's uh, he's the only one to blame in all this. No. So. No. It's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an all-round circus, if you ask me. But that, that's just my opinion, right? Yeah. So I listen to some of the questions and just go, oh, that's a polishy question. Mm. Or it's very repetitive. It's always the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well. Lockdown laws have been loosened a little bit. Hopefully we keep trending in that direction. Football back soon, a little bit more normality. Uh, And then hopefully in a couple of months' time, we're we're as close to probably normal life as we can be, still with some core precautions that need to be taken. But uh, things are a lot more positive than probably what a lot of people would have thought probably four or six weeks ago. What about movies? you seen any good movies? No, I really haven't had time, like I said. It's been... It's a good thing, like I said, being really, really busy, but work's kept me sane during this period of time, really. Yeah. I've said it to a few people. Usually when you've got your life and everything's open and we've got footy and training and mates and you've got the babies, obviously, uh, you know, being an uncle's great and having mates with kids and bits and put like it's usually so good, but with all this kind of stuff in, it's kind of taken away everything, and in particular... A lot of the extracurricular stuff we do around football and that that fills up the week and keeps me busy. So uh, I think work has really been the best thing, even with all the overtime right now, just for a bit more sanity in terms of filling in the time, but also social interaction. It's the only social interaction I'm getting, really. Yeah. So it's been probably a bit of a godsend, even though I've been flat out uh, and there's been a lot going on. It's been pretty helpful during this time. No, we are 
really seen many movies. Nah, I'd, I'd like to watch the Marvels. I've seen a few of them in random order, and I've enjoyed them just when I've been bored. So people tell Marvels. me you, you have to watch them in order. We watched them in order. Well, there you and go. Then we saw the. Well, I'd never seen a Marvel movie until uh, about two months before the last one came out last year, and then we just binge watched all of them. Um, and yeah, went and saw the the last one. So, well, but yeah, I'm not one for those super Superman super hero type movies, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I just had a good laugh because I think I was coming back on the plane from America. I watched Ragnarok when I was bored, and there yeah. was that random Kiwi character that's made out of rocks. <laughs> He's Belter. Korg, and his little bits alone were enough for me. I was just laughing at him alone. He was great. I think they're, they're talking about, they were, or they were talking about doing a, uh, a standalone movie with him and the other dude. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. And the other one I like, I think it's got nothing to do with any of that, but it's a superhero movie, but it's a silly one. I like Deadpool. I think Deadpool's hilarious. I saw the first one. I loved it. Um, but no, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the second. Yeah, that's that's my kind of stupid crude humour. I just thought Deadpool was hilarious. Yeah, it's not my cup of tea. Nah, it's right it's right up my alley. <laughs> uh, I'm a good. Uh, I can't think of, I can't think of what else we watched this week. No, I'm a bit Jordan. I'm a bit fried at the moment to be honest. Uh the the other one was the Ricky Gervais show. Yeah, after last that's what I said to you. Last week, though, I think, didn't we? I've said it two weeks in a row now because I watched it. He had another series pre- previous to that called Derek, which was similar again. It was very funny, but it was a bit sad, and there's a lot of stuff tied in with it. It's very well done, but Afterlife a bit similar. I'm, I'm only watching the first season now, but as funny as it is, well, I've just finished. I've just finished the second season of Afterlife. Mm, it's very dark, um, but and they've just they've just announced a, a third season. Mm. He's very smart, though. Very smart. Oh, unbelievable! Like to, to take the the two subject matters or the two kind of style of show like I'd recommend Derek as well I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore it was before yeah it is but it is. They, they kind of pull both ways for something to kind of pull at your heartstrings or make you think but then also be funny and then something like Afterlife where it's really some really dark stuff in there but at the same time you try not to laugh yeah he, he does a really really good job Ricky Gervais he's a smart man yeah it's a belter show so I'd, yeah again I haven't got around to watching a lot of new stuff but I definitely recommend that one yeah yeah, agree there, mate. Well, wrap us up for another week because it's late again on a Tuesday night. But again, I, I keep saying it: no negativity, no more shit stories. Let's all stay positive. Everyone stay upbeat, and fingers crossed. There's no more hiccups within this 16 days that are left because I just want to talk about football. I want to see football. I want games back. I want to get into the nitty gritty. I'm over all the media bullshit and all the politics and all this stuff that's going on. I just want football back. I'm with you, friend. And oh, completely, again, I'm not going to start another whole thing because we'll probably go off another tangent. But the best example about how good it is to have sport was how good was it to watch the UFC on the weekend? It was excellent. That was great. Like, that That alone excellent. just... The horses have been down here. 8 a.m. I got up, and I, the last fight finished at about 3.30. Yeah. And I was just... had it on all day, on and off watching it. Obviously, it was Mother's Day, so... There was um, things going on, but uh, yeah, as you said, it was just good to have have it on TV. Some good yeah. fights too. Good. Oh yeah, but just you can't beat in the moment happening right now. Sport, competitive sport, right there. Like the horses have been something again. Like I said, the last few weeks, I barely watch. I might put a bet on 
every so often, but I, I won't even watch the well, horses. It came, at a good time, like, it came at a good time for horse racing because it was autumn carnival. So, yeah, um, it, yeah couldn't, couldn't have worked out to be a better time from a gambling perspective and to... Um, to watch. Yeah, to have eyeballs on it, but mm. also betting revenue would never have been higher. I'm pretty sure uh, they... They, they, they locked the crowds and, and I guess the hospitality side of it, the corporate side of it, mm. um, through people, you know, attending, but I'm sure they would have uh, made all that money up in betting revenue, I would imagine. Um, yeah, the race, the racing nationwide, like, it just, yeah. they've got it on. There's been no shit. But just that point again, like, for me, it's... I, I, like, I like the horses, but it's not a huge part of my life, but in general, when things are normal... It might be once in a blue moon I sit down and watch a couple of races or we go out and have a beer and I watch the races, but every I don't watch them every Saturday. In this period, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I do, so yeah. it's been nothing different to me. In this period now with nothing else on, I've been living off the horses and not even... Well, that, that's, that's not right. I shouldn't say that. Like, it's been... It's just been good that I've had some regularity in something that I watch every weekend. Mm. But for me, it's just been... The, it's the only thing that's been alive and real at the time. So it's been very... Well, look, and I, I think there's a lot of people that have sort of become part-time betting experts and following the horses which is, <laughs> which is good um Gamble I know, I know mates that sort of said to me oh have you got a tip for the weekend I'm like well, are you on the punt now are you and they sort of said yeah yeah I'm having a bet you know and just for that reason like we've just spoken about that there's nothing else on yeah it's been great so, I've got, got to admit, I, I didn't mind your, your punters club stats you came up with today too, but just quietly. Yeah, the wins and losses and money. Yeah, I was happy with that. Yeah. Hopefully, well, we're, both, we're both sitting fairly pretty, so... Hopefully those numbers get better once I've got sport to bet on, because horses, like I said, isn't really my first choice. Yeah. But I've had a couple of winners, and I had a, I think I won two weeks in a row before we stopped on football. You won two weeks in a row on the footy. Yeah, I want the footy back for that reason. Um, I feel I'm a lot more... stuck as well through our, through our tips on the show, so... Mm. Yeah, hopefully we can continue that form when we come back. It's like I said, better the devil you know, and again, if you ask me, again, if I had my last $20 and I'm going to bet on anything, it'd be footy. Yeah. If I was going to back myself to win money on something, it'd definitely be footy more than a horse. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, Absolutely. I think I think the punters club might say continued and more steady profit if we get some sport back. Yeah, well we're well ahead of um, well ahead of where we where we need to be. So, oh yes, yep, good times. All right, well for everybody out there, as you said before, we're getting closer. Sixteen days to go. Fingers crossed. No more hurdles. No more slip ups before them. All positivity, and we get the football back sooner rather than later. Stay safe. Uh, these rule changes, particularly for your New South Wales, I know that they've been loosened off into a few other places. Please don't fuck it up. <laughs> Everyone follow the rules. Like I know it's getting loosened, but don't get mad. Well, they're not. People are. Yeah. Put it that way. Surely, after being locked up for the bit of time that we have, we've realised that that sucks, and it'd be smart just to follow some rules so we can get back to some normality. Yeah. But, yeah, fingers crossed, because a lot of people keep talking about this second wave. I'm like, dear God, that's the last thing we need. No, we, we don't need it. Let's just do the, do the right thing, and hopefully within the next, you know, eight to ten weeks they're talking about getting even looser on the facts and getting back to closer to what was normal life. That that would be great. <coughs> yeah, it would be. It would be fantastic. Essentially, like, if you don't need to go out, don't go out. Yeah, I'm sticking to the same principle that you said. I've seen a... Yeah. Seen you guys, which has been great the last few weeks. I've seen one or two friends in their own house with me on my own. 
But same to what you said again, if I feel that I was sick or I'd been around too many people or was compromised, I wouldn't go near anyone. Yeah. So hopefully uh, the trend stays but that's down. the thing with this virus is that you, you don't know you've got it. So, I, look, I, I said it last, so I think there's going to be, once they can test whether you've had it or not, I think the numbers are going to be frightening in terms of how many people have had it and not known they've had it. Mm. Well, that was the main point I said to you when I, I was putting isolation originally I wasn't crook but the doctor I went and saw the big thing was the asymptomatic part yeah and then they talked about New York that again more than half those cases were from people that were asymptomatic they didn't even know they were sick but they've spread it like wildfire yeah so it's it's not even necessarily the harm to myself if I did have it it would have been the fact that I could have potentially infected all of you so even though I yeah, felt well, fine well, for not the... so much yeah it's more uh, like yeah our, our youngest because their immune system and their um, respiratory system isn't fully developed yet, mm. it's something you just you don't even want to play with it. So. No, but I spent that two weeks and thought, even if I do feel fine, this is just the right thing to do. That's what I was told to do, regardless of how you feel. It was just the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, particularly when you don't have a lot of information on it. No, and that was the thing at the time. And everyone's like, oh, it seems fucking stupid. It's like, well, it's not. You, you don't know anything about it. You don't want to mess with it. But the worst thing I could have done is just plead ignorance and go, oh, it doesn't matter, I feel fine. I could have potentially been asymptomatic and, again, the highest bracket of infection and asymptomatic people I think was 20 to 29. I fit right in that category. So you would have been, uh, you know, potentially spreading it like wildfire if you were to ignore it rather than do the right thing. Yeah. It's just a smart thing to do. Correct. Uh, all righty. Done and dusted, everyone. Try and think of a few more isolation questions. I posted up some good ones the last few weeks, but the funny thing, the biggest response of all was everyone's biggest heartbreaker or worst memory. Dear God, that got some traction. Yeah. People were sharing some stories. That, yeah. <laughs> there was some dramatic stuff on there. Well, I could have, I could have just every game as a Gold Coast fan. Well, somebody put in there basically what I just thought, this is a Brock thing. He goes, what, what, what hasn't been traumatic bar that last season you made the finals? He goes, I'm a Gold Coast fan. Yeah. I was just like, okay. Yeah, pretty much. But there were some good ones in there. I, I'll try and think of a few more for everyone because it passes time, stimulates the thought a bit. But, yeah, that, that one caught fire. Yeah, it did. Good one. Yeah. All right, I'll finally wrap it up now. Box. Take care. Speak to you next week. Hopefully uh, heading more towards some rugby league. And for everybody out there, like we said, stay safe. Fingers crossed. Everything keeps... Rugby league. Oh, rugby league. Keeps trending in the right direction. And uh, we get it back in 16 days' time. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? What's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.